0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Below the Fold. In this week's episode, we've got John Ivy from Ivy League. John, what's up, man? Hello. So, so uh, glad to be here. Oh,
1: I'm not as glad as I am. I need to drop my voice an octave, though, so I can be radio ready. Yeah. No, <laughs>
0: actually, you've got a pretty good voice for that. Have you ever done any voiceover?
1: No, nah, just singing. But you is that something you'd be interested in doing? Sure. Yeah. You know what? If you need to hire me for voiceovers, I can do that. Okay. Hello and welcome. Yeah, give us a little something, something. From the Shadow <laughs> of the Everlasting Hills. You ever get those from the... No, what is <laughs> that? Good. From the, from the uh, Tabernacle Choir, Sunday Oh, nights. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What was yeah. that called? Uh, Music, and, Music the and the Spoken Word. And the spoken that's spoken word. right. Yeah, actually, you do sound kind of like that guy. Yeah, I use his voice as my... That's my, like, go-to uh, announcer impression. voice. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Lloyd Newell. Lloyd K. Newell. Yeah, there you go. So, uh,
0: this is actually... This episode has been on the books for... Close to two months, I think. Yeah, that's right. So Greg Judd is our mutual connection. He came on a couple months ago, three months ago, I don't know. And when he left, he's like, oh, I got I to gotta line some folks up for you. John Ivy was one of them. So we got introduced that way. We had a quick phone call, but it feels like it's been forever since we set it up. Yeah, it uh, does. I'm terrible at keeping in touch and coordinating that stuff, but I appreciate you coming on. So, John, uh, this is Below the Fold. Let's get started. Okay John, I want to give you a couple minutes tell us uh, tell us about yourself fun, fun facts what your background is what uh, what about you would be interesting from a marketing slash CRO perspective and I say CRO not in the conversion rate optimization stuff,
1: but in the chief revenue officer stuff oh that's great right I usually do you, do you know conversion rate optimization as I, well I do oh you do I do I, I mean i'm not a I'm not a guru like you guys when it comes to digital marketing but i my version of conversion rate is, to me, sales is a function of conversion. So I'm always looking at, hey, we got leads. That's awesome. Conversion really happens when they do something. Yeah. And that means they have an appointment or we talk to them. So, but yes, chief revenue officer is the chief is revenue the title. officer for Hire. Yeah. Because really, you're you're not fractional, the CRO fractional of, of GRO. Ivy
0: League. You're the founder, CEO. I don't know what your title is at Ivy. I am the managing
1: partner, founder, corporate pirate corporate pirate. Okay. Yeah. So we're kind of like the former employed by the crown type people that we all left and decided to be pirates. That's, that's kind of the mentality of, you know, how do you get, how do you get top tier talent part-time? You know, those things are not available Those resources aren't available to starting out entrepreneurs and they really need it. So we wanted to make that a thing and change. So, so is there a lot of demand for that? Yeah. Okay, Actually, don't answer that yet. Let's go into your intro because I'm getting too deep here. Oh, intro, sorry. T- tell, tell us about yourself. Okay, so John Ivey, I'm, I'm a metalhead. I'm a former, what, Marine? I don't no. know. <laughs> what do you want to call it? A finance guy, I guess. My black. I always say that my finance are my black sheep days. Um, <laughs> I went to all my semesters of college and almost graduated but didn't. You're kidding. From Westminster College. Partly so I could fit in with the dropouts, who are the ones who are making all the companies and all the money. And then partially so I could sound like I knew what I was talking about when I'm like, oh, I went to Westminster and I got like a white-labeled Harvard education so that the finance guys would accept me. So I kind of try to fit in the between. So how close did you really get to graduating? I have like one project I'm supposed to finish or whatever. Dude, just do it. Come on. I probably will. I'm just going to leave them hanging. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'll come back and graduate once, you know, my name's on... Forbes or something, and then you can be like an honorary. You can, you can just graduate. give me my tuition back yeah. to say thank you. Yeah, John was he went here and he knows what he's talking about. Okay, so Westminster dropout. Yep, and you started in finance. Started in finance. Um, actually, I started in tech. Two thousand and seven, I started in tech after I was a door to door guy because we all for have to who? be door to door guys. I worked for a company called Pro Alarm, it okay. was bought by Pinnacle. Which was absorbed by Protection One, which probably doesn't exist anymore. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with all that stuff anymore. And when I got back, I went into tech and we were I was working for a company called uh, ITERA. That's what they were called. But they got purchased by Vision Solutions, and so I got to be part of that like transition. And I was a BDR, so I was setting appointments for account executives. What's oh, like, a BDR? Business development representative. Oh, okay. So I was like making the calls, taking conversion so I was taking the leads that were there and converting them into appointments so that we could sell them and I used a lot of the stuff that I learned on the doors to bring into the corporate world and it was super effective so I got to be in charge of a team and like lead some guys and train people and it was really good but as I got into college I was like oh finance that's where the money's at and I'm good at sales so Wall Street you know I'll go do that (sighs) but it wasn't fun I wanted to do something fun and I specifically remember one instance where the managing partners of the firm I was working for made me get my hair cut because it was like starting to get a little shaggy. And that's a deal breaker. And they said, we need you to be less street and a little more wall street. And I was like, you can't take the street out of me. And so I wasn't just because <laughs> of that, but that was like, that was the moment where I'm kind of like, I don't think I fit in here. You know, like this finance is not what I'm doing. And one of the funds I was working on was a tech fund. And of all the funds we had, it was the easiest to allocate to, and this is like 2012. So back then, you could kind of show up to uh, investment advisors and be like, oh, here's all the stuff we're working on, and everybody was like, you know, it's still kind of a bad economy. Things were recovering from the crash. So everybody wanted like either super like low-risk stuff or the Reg D guys were all about the, what I'd call like novelty fund. You know, like what can I own that I can say, oh yeah, I got like a piece of this tech company or <laughs> I invested in this app. And so you could show up for like, oh, hey, I've got this receivables fund that pays 17%, like clockwork, it's basically you know, backed by Walmart, like you'll get your money, blah, and they'd yawn, and you'd be like, okay, well, how about a dating app? Yeah, here's a hundred grand. So go <laughs> That's figure. That's all it takes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, dude, I really just need to look into tech. I had a friend who worked at Facebook at the time, And it wasn't Facebook when he started working at the company. It was a company called parse and he was like, Hey, come check out this company I'm working for when I was in Newport beach and he was in San Francisco and we, I went and saw parse in the early days. He was like employee number six and I was like, yeah, this seems really cool. But I mean, I look at numbers all day and like I'm trained to just be like everything is going to fail and everything's a big risk and nightmare. So no thanks. And then after spending a little time there and watching his company get acquired by Facebook and him get a nice little payout. And then he had a job there for two years. I was like, you know, maybe I'm missing the boat here. Mm-hmm. So he referred me to Most a Most of us missed and, that boat. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked out. So now I'm like, hey, let's check this out. So I started getting into, into tech back then, maybe 2013, and uh, have worked for seven startups ever since. Seven startups? Since, okay. Then. And then, and then you left the startup world to do your own startup. Yep. Which I guess isn't really leaving that world. Yep. So I got, I started to see the, a pattern and that's the, again, there is an inherent risk with startups. Uh, originally I thought it was like, it's just sales, right? If you can close a deal, it doesn't matter. But turns out like the tech actually has to work, you know, and things have to, you can't just sell them like everywhere, they have, they forever. They have to have a good product is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean. I wouldn't even say you have to have a good product. You just have to have a functioning product. I think that's actually the biggest problem is that people think if they make a better thing, it will just sell on its own and better doesn't sell. What really sells is like it's functional, yeah, but here, let me let me like understand and connect your needs and benefits and, and that's how we were able to do really well. Um, the problem was if it doesn't function, right? If, it, if it's like, uh, per, like it should be a great product, uh, ideally right on paper, it's great, but in the real world, it doesn't actually function payment gateways drop off or people can't log in or a credential or whatever. Um, then it's like someone needs to fix that. And if it doesn't, well, you don't get paid. So sales doesn't really matter at that point. And you can continue to raise money. Cause like, look, we have all these LOIs letters of interest, like people sign and said, I'll pay you money when the product does this, but until it does, you know, no money. Yeah. So that's a good way to raise capital for a while, but still you have to have some, you know, two components. And so what I look for and what I had been looking for was like people who are really good chefs, right? They're good in the kitchen. They know how to build their product, their tech, but they're not generally the people that should be running the front of house. And so, and you're saying those are the type of people you look for. Those are the type of people I look for and had ever since kind of learning my, having my first running with a tech company that I worked for in 2014. So when you say you look for them, you look for them to what end? Uh, those are the ones I was looking for, like to work for. Oh, okay. That I thought yeah, yeah. Would, those are the, you know, if anyone's going to be a unicorn or whatever, take off and be a successful company, it's people who have it all together on that side. And then I can, con- like in my mind, it was like, I can control my destiny, which is revenue. Like if I manage that, then if they do their job, I can do mine we will win. Um, and so, consistently I realized that that was also, that was a component, but then I started to see that management also, also like just cause you have a great product doesn't mean you have a great team that's all cohesive and work really well together. So I've encountered people with management, uh, conflicts and like owners kicking out his co-founders and people suing each other and other problems rise from that. Yeah. There's so, a lot
0: of, there's a lot of drama around startups. So, so, so sorry, real quick. There were a couple things that, that you brushed right past. Oh, so yeah. Ab- about yourself that oh, I wanted to, me. that I wanted to pull out. One was that you're a metalhead. True. So, uh, this is a podcast, which means it's audio, no visual, no, there's no video here. So people won't know unless they know you that you've got long hair. Yeah. Is that attached to that same, uh, metal, like, is that required in order to be a metalhead or like, <laughs> no, is that part of man. your persona? Is that part of there's your brand? There's a lot of bald
1: metalheads. The one that comes to mind that you look like, and you can go look him up, is the lead singer of a band called Dying Fetus. Dying Fetus. That's a real that metal sounds band. like a band I would really enjoy. And, and you kind of look like that guy. So, um, well, some people don't have the he's choice. He's a good dude.
0: You know what I mean? As far as like hair goes, like you've got some locks, man.
1: Metal's in extreme music, right? So it's extremes. You're either bald or you got a lot of hair. Okay, well, okay, then I'd fit right in. And dudes with crew cuts just look weird, man. <laughs> okay, just so kidding. so on that same
0: vein. Uh, I want to bring Greg Judd, Jed Judd. Yeah, bring Judd Judd back in. So you guys haven't known each other that long, but from what I hear, you're already
1: like starting a band or something. Yeah, we're gonna do. <laughs> so we yeah, we were both in bands about the same time in the early, well, yeah, early two thousands. Like, did you ever play together? We played in the same venues and for in, in some of the. Same large shows, but we never like played with each other, like never yeah. hung out with each other in the you what know, was the, what was the name of your band? so I was with this kind of emo band that was called Throw me the Rope, and then they changed their name to I Capture Castle, and I was like it wasn't really my style <laughs> when was it at its peak? like are there YouTube videos of both of those bands? there's YouTube videos of I Capture Castle, but I was not in those videos oh, you weren't I wrote some of their I wrote some of the songs, but then was like. I was like um, you know a little ahead of the curve like I was a lot more mature than these guys I was a whole 24 and they were like 19 oh, so 19 so I was like these <laughs> kids man I can't I don't want to go on tour like, I'm going to go to college and then I didn't so I want to find something <laughs> When Greg was
0: on we played some snippet from uh, I don't even remember the name of his band do you remember
1: Uh yeah, victim effect. Oh yeah, that's right. Victim they were effect. good though. They were good. The difference is they were good, <laughs> and they, they actually like made it into a career for a little while. Like they actually made it somewhere. I wasn't interested in making it somewhere. I just wanted to play music. Yeah, and I didn't even like the band I was in. I just I, I don't get me wrong. They get, they were cool, and I had fun with them. But it wasn't my style of music. Do, do you, are you did
0: you already look him up there, Brandon? Was
2: well, I Capture Castle. That's what I looked up.
1: Is that different? Well, if that's look, the one. If he you said look on a... YouTube, you should. Unless they took it down. Marcus is the front man there
0: and yeah see see if you can find something we'll play a little clip of of your music that you weren't a part of the video but you just did the guitar stuff uh but uh the reason I bring this up is because the concept that I heard you guys come up with as far as like the the
1: theme around your band is very interesting to me yeah um so we thought of like what is this is like an experiential marketing play and it was a uh cross between the office and Pantera. So <laughs> let's take like comical themes that we all understand and, and put it to like hardcore music yeah. or like sort of punk slash metal music that tends to convey like a, almost it's an animated, you know, version of like what's happening at the office and sort of a parody on yourself. Cause like I'm a tough guy and I'm in, I'm in business and I'm in sales, but it's kind of a, a joke. Cause it's just business, you know. Did, you're, did you have a not Did you have a it's band metal. name
0: picked out already? Hostile work environment. That's right, hostile work environment. And and you've already gotten together mm-hmm. at least one time. I saw
1: a picture somewhere. Yeah, we were, or something. We practiced some stuff on LinkedIn. We're like, hey, let's let's bring in some elements of like Pantera and Lamb of God and like sort of that Southern bluesy kind of metal. But we gotta maybe lighten it up a little bit for the ladies because <laughs> you know we thought about. It. <laughs> I shouldn't mention that here, but we we had some, (laughs) we had some good stuff forthcoming that I think will be more fun to see happen. But if you get the theme of the office, right, it's like, there's a lot of like oblivious humor. Like Michael Scott doesn't understand that he's being offensive. And so we were almost putting that flavor into the music, into the music or into the lyrics or into the lyrics. Like we thought, let's do a song. That's literally just reading a sexual harassment training as like, that's a song. Um, (laughs) And then maybe we thought you, we could do like- Do you like this, Brandon? You think it's-
2: Well, the name is interesting. I'm thinking from an SEO perspective, it's like it's an uphill battle to rank eventually for hostile work environment yeah, for, that's true. for the band. But
1: <laughs> See, and, and our idea was like, what if we could play at, you know, like a regular boring old tech event? You know, you go to Dreamforce, so you got a Silicon Slopes here, and there's a metal band playing like stuff that you get. Like it's like a meme put into a song. Um, that you understand cause you're in that culture, but it's like, you can go rock out to that and we're all representing our own companies. Like Greg's a founder. I'm a founder. Um, I got a drummer buddy who, who I'm trying to recruit. He'll probably never hear this anyway, but, um, <laughs> maybe you will, uh, Zachary Cummings, who he works for Artemis health. He's their VP of, uh, business development and operations. And he's a pretty good drummer. He's a pretty good drummer. Okay. So although so, he doesn't
0: have long hair. I was just gonna say, Greg's got his long hair, you've got your long hair. Do you
1: guys like share and trade like health grooming tips? No I mean, man. hair growing tips. <laughs> all you just all you gotta do is play metal. And it just comes. It, it will the, the hair will obey. That's
0: hilarious. Out of fear. <laughs> <laughs> so I I don't want to spend a ton of time on that. That was just awesome. Did you find something?
2: I mean I have a music video from I Capture Castle. Alright, pl- Dude pl- Man, pl- I don't know, bro. Does that ring a bell? Yep. <laughs> Were you a part of this? No. I wrote
1: those are my riffs these are
0: so yeah keep, keep that on keep that on the reason the reason why this is so interesting to me is because people uh, people want to know who you are man and this is this is a part
1: of who you are well I, this isn't a great representation because this was the part I didn't like was like why are we singing <laughs> like girls man I don't want to sing like a girl this is metal like we need to have some. Anyway, but there's like emo is this kind is, of a, mix. yeah, this, this right. is a part of your history at the very least. So you, did you write that? Uh, yeah. Parts of parts of this song were mine and then part of them they adapted to make into singy girly lyrics. Uh, these are girly right here. This is the part that was like, Oh, Marcus, thank you for bringing the, the heat back yeah. to this music. And <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I was going to say nuts, but I won't. <laughs> I, Outside say, the I would screamo, never say that.
2: It sounds a lot like Seosin. Yeah. A little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. That style. I don't know Seosin. I'm not against post-hardcore. Don't get me wrong. That stuff's fine. I just, I am I prefer a little more mature death metal, is kind of where I live. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So uh, let's bring it back. Sorry. So, no, anyway, don't, don't Back apologize. to market. No, this is great. This is great. So you own Ivy League, started last year. Is yep. that right? Yep.
1: Okay. So tell us what, what Ivy League is. What does it look like? So Ivy League consulting, um, we're re- consulting is like the best word I can use to describe it yeah. because that's, but I hate the word consulting because it implies it? that you're paying me for advice,
0: which is what people are doing, right? No. Um, what are they doing?
1: So I don't, I can give you advice all day and I always tell people advice is free. You're going to hire me cause you're not going to know what to do with the advice. I can say, here's all, here's the plan, run with it. And they're like, uh, I don't want to. I don't know how, or I don't have the time. Okay, that's a good distinction. So you're not just giving the advice, you're helping them execute on the advice. Yes. Okay. I think execution is the primary way to, I think execution is the best way to do discovery. Because then you actually learn things. Yeah. The problem is people usually are targeting outcomes and not objectives. And so we help them from the beginning to say like, here's all the advice in the world, but you're trying to get outcomes and what you should be looking at is objectives. And I always say if, if you already know what to do or you, somebody is telling you they already know what to do, they're probably lying or they're wrong yeah. or both. No, that makes sense. So,
0: so what do people hire you to do? What advice are they seeking you out for?
1: Uh, yeah. So we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but basically they're coming to you, me with a, a lot of different needs, right? And they're usually self-prescribing, right? They're coming in like I'm the doctor and they're saying, hey, give me medicine. And I'm like, hold up a second. Why do you think you need medicine? Well, because I'm having this problem, and it's usually like we need leads, or we haven't closed very much, or we should be like twice our size and we're not, and we don't know why, or we know why, we think we know why, and we just don't have the time to like target, like to get on some of this stuff. And I can't hire a $200,000 a year CRO, VP yeah. of sales. VP of sales is a good way to describe that. Um, I usually use that as a colloquialism because if I say CRO, they're like, huh? No, that makes sense. But It's that problem, right? We don't have executive leadership and we can't afford it. So what do we do? And well, you can hire me part-time, a fractional VP of sales. And I can get those top three or four objectives in place and we can target those and see what comes from that. And then we can actually form a game plan. And the problem is a lot of times people are are running with boots on the ground faster than they, they are looking at strategy. So they get to a place where they're like, okay, everything's going. We've got the machine set up but if we want to change anything, we've got to stop the machine and we can't do that. So now what do we do? And then they get in a spot where they can't scale. And that's usually why they're coming to us. And you, that, that's the main problem, but they just, they think it's, well, it's leads or it's, we're not closing enough or we're not using the right script. Or yeah, whatever. they're a little short-sighted, it sounds like. Yeah. So can you share some, uh, uh, who are some of the clients that you've worked with? So primarily we work with technology-based companies. They're B2B, uh, so there's, I guess one some RBC, but most of them are B two B, and it's usually any time. To me, sales is is the kind of core function that we're providing, and so so to me, maybe back up a little bit so we can understand the context because context is hugely important in this in this arena. So revenue is the name of the game, and revenue has three functions: okay, marketing, sales, client success. Those are the only three ways your company makes money, and even if it's like we sue people and collect on these like frivolous lawsuits, even that is part of that funnel. So same again, what are the three sales, marketing and, cl- so, uh, marketing customer success say, or client sales, success, or client or customer success. You can, that can have a number of names, account management or whatever. But I yeah. call it client success because that's a super proactive role and people usually leave it as the, Hey, once the deal's closed, we're done. And I'm like, no, you were just beginning like half of your revenue comes from people you've already sold. Oh, I didn't know that. And like, that's usually where I start with people. Like is that RMR or is that upselling? Like where, where is the Uh money coming from in their existing clientele? So it's, first of all, they sell them like one, one product and in the SaaS space. So this is a good example, software as a service. If they're selling software as a service, they sell one feature one main component of that software, right? Because that's the one thing that can get them in the door if they're doing it right. So there's more to it than that, right? And this is the problem is that the, the guys who invented the tech always wanna talk about more. Oh, guess what else it can do? And guess what else it can do? And it usually complicates their sale. Sure. And so I'm helping them reduce it down a little bit, which can be painful, because they're like, but I don't want it to just be this one thing. And I'm like, yeah, but for now, that's what it needs to be so that we can get them in the door and being a paying client. And now it's a different relationship. And now next time I show up next week, hey, did you know you could do this with it too? Oh, I didn't know that. Well, it's usually in response to some type of proactive outreach that you have a relationship with a client manager who's saying, Hey, we've noticed that you guys are trying to do this. And did you know our software can provide this for you? Oh, I didn't know that. That's really cool. And now it's like, it's totally natural and doesn't feel like, Hey, you should use it for this too. And use it for that too. And let's onboard you for 12 things at once. It's like, we got them in the door. We got them there. One thing they're using it. They're happy. Guess what else we can do. And the guess what else we can do is like half of your revenue. Any of the big companies you see, you drive down, up and down the freeway here and you see, tech companies with their names on the side of a building. I promise you have several offerings and they're not selling all of those every time to every client. They're selling one or two maybe. Yeah, It's, it's kind of the same concept is it's trying to put all your
0: offerings on a single billboard, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that makes sense. Um, when you, when you sign on with a new client, are you signing an NDA? Like, is, is it a secret who your clients are? No, not necessarily. S- the reason I ask is because sometimes it's easier to, to, take a example. So you mentioned context, right? If you mention a specific company, we can dig in and say, okay, what, uh, what does this company do? What's this offering? Instead of being a little bit more general,
1: like SaaS or tech okay. or whatever, well, is there one that you feel comfortable you could bring up? And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would be happy to bring up some of the ones I've worked for. Um, and also some of the ones that we're currently working with. So we worked with a group that was a uh, custom development shop. So They were selling, you know, websites and, you know, we'll build you an app kind of services, um, service companies are not usually what we try to focus on, but when we see scalability and it's like, Hey, you can actually, you guys are, uh, concentrated in your offering enough to like scale, not just to like sell more, but let's target that and see what we can do. So with them, it wasn't, you know, the sales cycle is kind of complicated. It's, Hey, let's get you in the door to do a bid. And then once we've done the bid, it's, Kind of done from there it's like cool we're gonna do this what's next and managing that relationship becomes more of the sale than just getting them to show up and get a bid right so it's like marketing on the outreach side show up and come to the table and we'll sell you something and then on the client success side it's very much more um, what else can you know what else can we get you and can we see this can we s- see the full potential, of the lifetime value for this client. So that's where we spend most of our time in a, in a scenario like that service company. Let's say Greg's company, for example. So Ziglio. Yep. Ziglio. So that's a group we're going to hopefully start working with here in June. Um, and their offering is, is very much more SaaS based, right? So it's, and he already talked about, it, I'm sure last time where we're taking offline marketing efforts, right. And being able to attribution on, you know, a phone number or a text message campaign or mailers, things that you typically don't have any over or any, um, oversight on from a marketing perspective. Yeah. So
0: this is actually really important. So, uh, to get a little bit more specific cause we've worked with Ziglio in the past. If you've got, if you've got a phone number anywhere, right? So you mention it, if it's on a billboard or if it's on a, uh, mailer, or even if it's on your website, a lot of these conversions happen offline, meaning someone calls and as soon as they call, they're no longer on the website. So yep. so that tracking between the website and the call is lost. Yep. Uh, they have the ability for you to go in there and import your list of contacts that you've received, phone numbers, stuff like that. And then they yeah. allow you to retarget on these people. Uh, so uh, it's
1: actually a really cool idea and concept. Oh, it's great. I yep. mean, That's why they, they, they won the Facebook ignition competition. Yep. They, they've done really well but the point is with a software like that your your value is coming almost always from managing these relationships just getting them to use to to get started and be like okay you pay us when stuff actually starts happening when people start dialing those phone numbers uh when they start you know reading the mailer and texting that phone number the value of it is that i can now retarget that we can we can cash that person offline bring them into a digital campaign and then retarget them in real time so you could get a mailer text the number, scan the QR code, whatever. And then I, like you said, that, that information gets lost. But what if we knew where that came from? Now I can actually, you start seeing Instagram ads from us because we're using Ziglio. That's kind of the the killer app there.
0: So just to be clear, you mentioned that you might be working with them in June. What gap did they identify that you and Ivy League will be filling?
1: Uh, So mainly like sales, Greg is I mean, he's doing it all himself right now, yeah. which is good. You have to when you bootstrap. Dude, he's a great sales guy. He's awesome. Um, shoot. He's like, yeah, he could he could do the whole thing. He doesn't need us to do sales, but he can't clone himself. So, yes, he does. <laughs> yeah. So, at some point, he's going to have to, like, step out of that role and be like, okay, I'm going to go run the business now. Somebody else take over for growing the sales. And it's not just boots on the ground sales. It's like, you know, what is the management cycle look like? How do we engage with those clients so that... Now they've signed up, but, you know, they're maybe getting two or three, but we also, like, they're getting uh, a billboard that we're getting attribution on now, but we also want them to do a mailer campaign. We want to get more numbers and, and increase the amount of services they're using. That's primarily, I think, where their revenue is going to come from. So And that's just knowing now, right? That may totally change, and that's the cool part. Yeah, is it Like I said, if you think you know already, you're probably wrong. And so if you go into that with, like, I feel like this is the direction we go in. Let's measure that. So this is our objective framework. We target an objective. Let's go and we, we assume that this is gonna be where we're gonna uh, get the most value of whatever uh, activity that we're, we're trying to service here, whatever objective we're targeting. We go in and check it out, and then we have something that comes out of that, right? Something to measure. It's measurements, but those don't mean anything, okay? They're just outcomes. Right, input, output, great. What does that output mean? Well, that to me is what metrics are. Metrics are just measurements with meaning. They mean something now, and I know that that number has some type of uh, action associated with it. So that's when we can start putting the numbers together and saying, if I put a dollar in, I can get $4 out for say. And that's what we're trying to arrive at. We're trying to create reliable, not predictions. What's the word? I should know. This. this is my sales material. Projection
2: or projections? That's the word.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Here he is. Sales guy. Um, so yeah, projections. Yeah. If you go to our website, which you shouldn't cause like it's only one page and the rest is in Latin. If you know what I'm talking about. I do. Um, Lauren Ipsum. Yeah. Lauren Ipsum baby. Um, <laughs> which we don't need our website cause it doesn't convert. It's actually a good case study because a lot of companies put money into stuff that doesn't matter. We use our website for that case to say, look, don't put money into a website because ours doesn't do anything for us. We don't convert off of it. We convert off having real conversations with the people in real life. Our website's just there to show a, a quick display and a paragraph of what we do and somewhere to land and say, oh, Ivy League's a thing. Here's how to contact us. But if you look at it, it's a crystal ball. It's a, it's That is the visual on the first page. It's us holding a crystal ball saying rethink the way you execute your vision. Is that trying to do it yourself or hiring a full-time expensive person? Try it in pieces and what we want to arrive at the whole point of engaging with anybody in, in this type of relationship on retainer is to get to that crystal ball. So how do you get there? Well, you get there by just trial and error, but doing it really well and in a, in a controlled and engineered way. And that's what we do really well. So iteration is the word that we, we use to identify that.
0: So tell me this as you're coming, as you're taking on new clients and as you're gaining all this experience, as your company is growing, Uh, what are the biggest mistakes you're seeing companies make? So from a sales Mm. perspective, right? You're coming in and and they're like, we need your help. And you're just, in your experience, what are the things that you're just like, oh, they're making the same mistake as everyone else?
1: Yeah. I think the biggest mistake is just miscategorizing what things are. They oversimplify sales, right? Sales is just a binary function. It's leads in, it's close deals out and that's it that's all you got to do right and it's like no there's so much there's so much more relational value inside of that and it's the way i describe it is like bruce lee great quote he said when a punch was a punch when i first started learning kung fu right and as i got into the mechanics and how the body works together and how all these little pieces play into how that you know what why my punch is better than someone else's punch play out it's actually way more complicated. There's a lot of moving parts. And as you study those and master each one of them, eventually it's just a punch again. And so we're trying to help them identify that yes, like you're right, it should be simple in the end, right? We don't want to overcomplicate it. But what's worse than being overcomplicated is oversimplifying and just thinking that it's, well, it's this much in and this much out. And I relate this to the, like, the idea of between growth and scale. OK, and I think this is the biggest problem, biggest problem that companies make. They have an end in mind, which is to scale, but they really are only set up to grow. To me, the difference is like if you think of growth, it's like spinning a wheel faster. Scale is like adding more wheels. So how do we add more wheels to the organization instead of just spinning one faster? That's where scale comes in. It's, it's no longer just, hey, we can we have the capacity we have now and we're going to do, you know, 10 times that much. It's like, how do you get the people you have to not only do 10 times that much, but have 10 times as many of them? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we want to do that, but it's just input output. Eh, That's not really. So it's oversimplification. It's miscategorizing. It's not understanding. It's thinking that sales should do everything. I see this happen a lot where people hire one salesperson and they're like, okay. Yeah. So we're hiring this new sales guy and he's awesome. He came from XYZ, top tier company. He was the top performer there and he's coming in he's gonna do everything for us. Great, well, get that I've seen that guy, who's awesome by the way, and I know they're awesome because I know a lot of these guys, I've seen him fail over and over again because they're set up to fail. They come in and like, well, what can you do? How many deals are you gonna get us? How many, how many uh, leads are you gonna get us? How many appointments are you gonna set? It's like, why are you even having that discussion up front? Why is that in the interview? <laughs> like find out what that person can do and then apply it to a few things. But what they're expecting is you're going to go get new leads for us. You're going to qualify those leads. You're going to close them. You're going to follow up with them and make sure that they're paying and becoming good clients and like that we're getting a good lifetime value out of them and you're going to start over. It's like that's a whole funnel. That's all of revenue. That's marketing, sales, and client success. You want to hire one person and expect them to be good at all of those. And even if they are, I would parse to them that you can probably. Like what if you just had them in charge of one thing and you had three of those people, I bet they would do three times the results and three X. I use that specifically because Saudis have shown that that's about the, the increase that you'll see if you divide those, those three roles among people, instead of having one person or three people in charge of all of them is that it comes in threes and you will literally see like a three X hmm, growth from separating those two. So one person qualifies your leads. I always draw a wavy line in between sales and marketing. because Why is it wavy? Because salespeople end up doing a lot of marketing and marketing people end up doing a lot of sales or what we would think of those. For instance, marketing people will usually man your booths at like a conference. And so they're engaging with people on the floor and saying, oh yeah, let me get your business card and we'll reach out to you. And that's like kind of a sales function, mm-hmm. but the person who's actually gonna contact them is a salesperson. Likewise, salespeople, most of them, when they have downtime are going to probably spend time going through old leads or reaching out to people on LinkedIn or, or tapping their own network to get new leads, sales qualified leads or how we would describe those air quotes to me. Yeah, there's my air quotes <laughs> to me. That's a function of rev or a function of marketing. Really all marketing should be just lead gen like that should be the, yeah. fun- and again, not to oversimplify in that sense either, but that's the outcome. Marketing just quality, just gets leads, sales converts those leads and client success. Enhances the value of those of those relationships.
0: So I was talking to Brandon yesterday I was just gonna bring this question up and we were talking about the relationship between marketing and sales
2: Yeah, I mean, it's even one like I've experienced with my current company and from talking to others It seems like it's a common thing. It's that it's that division between sales and marketing where let's say things aren't closing revenues down sales points to marketing says the leads are bad uh, marketing points to sales and says, no, you're just not closing. So you coming into a company, how do you differentiate? Like, is this a marketing issue or is this a sales issue?
1: Okay. Great question. See, and this is one that I get a lot and it's usually a communication issue. It's neither. It's like sales is good. Marketing is good. The problem is that you're using sales as a binary function again. Sales can influence product development. Sales can influence your life cycle, like lifetime value. Sales can influence the way you reach out and ask customers or the market at large new questions. And if if marketing and sales have a working relationship and they understand each other's roles, well, guess what? Like those salespeople who are having those discussions are like, these are the types of discussions we want to have. Instead of this is the type of lead I'd like to receive. Mm -hmm. Sorry. These are the types of conversations we want to have. And this is what's working. Oh, I didn't Okay, I understand. So this is the kind of messaging we should use into the marketplace. Ask this question to these groups of people and watch who raises their hand. And all of a sudden, the leads get really good. Um, Because they're talking to salespeople and figuring out, oh, what's happening in the back end? What's happening on the ground? So people usually come to me with that problem. They're like, oh, our marketing team sucks. I'm like, why? Well, because our leads are terrible. I'm like, I doubt your leads are terrible. Somebody's probably just dropping the ball. And probably these two are not communicating. They're at odds with one another. I think you're right. I communication
0: is big. Uh, there, so something we've seen at Vivint, which I'd also like to get your opinion on is, uh, it it seems like a tug of war thing where in tug of war, you can never, you always have one winner, right? So it's not, it's not that everyone can win. And, and what we've, what we've seen recently is that, uh, when we're driving more leads, like we're flooding the sales floor with leads, uh, our conversion rate goes down our sales conversion goes down but when but when the leads are like we don't have as many leads it's almost like we're they're way more hungry for leads their conversion goes up right so it's like famine or feast when they're feasting on leads they're like oh i, I can fill this one cuz another one's just going to pop right up on the yes. phone uh but when when they're like waiting several minutes between phone calls right and they're and they're in the queue and they're just like where are my leads one comes up and they're like desperate to sell that one conversion goes up and uh the reason so I'm on marketing so I'm a little skewed towards marketing but I'm thinking I'm thinking uh so I'm over SEO which SEO organic search is typically the most consistent as far as uh intent goes right the intent of the lead and it's usually lower in the funnel it's not like display or blog or uh you know the the upper funnel thing people are typically higher intent when they're coming through a search engine. Uh, so my conversion rate should stay pretty consistent. Uh, and we're not seeing that. And it, it totally has to do with the number of leads we're generating versus, uh, the number of leads they're getting. So if staffing is an issue, right? So if for whatever reason we spike in leads and, uh, and our call floor is lighter, all of a sudden our conversion goes up or sorry, goes down because they're just, they're flooded with these leads. Hmm. So from a communication standpoint, how do you communicate, hey, we need we need consistency, right? If I have a 35% sales conversion rate today and tomorrow it's 25%, that's not okay.
1: Yeah, does that no, make sense? So, Sorry, yeah, I've kind of rambled on. <laughs> no, 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 you're cool. <laughs> I, I totally get that. Cause this is, so this is a specific problem. And to me, these require some engineering. There's no like answer. The answer is to like work a few, run a few plays and see what happens. My first thought would be like, why don't we create a new category that we're measuring called, um, or to track that consistency, right? How consistent is somebody? And let's associate a number with that. Not, And I'm not talking about like, we know that 35 today and 22 tomorrow, hey, that's not very consistent, but what if we gave that a score? And we start monitoring those scores and that becomes something that the rep is now accountable for. Okay, well then they're gonna take notice of that and say, okay, so how often I convert leads is important too. So I, it's not going to be this feast or famine thing, and they're now conscious of it. I'd also train that with. Um, I, I like to train very positively. Like, I they're never like a you'll get fired if. That's a terrible prospect for salespeople. They will always fail. You, you're almost it's a self fulfilling prophecy mentality, management mentality. And it's terrible. Quotas are inherently terrible for this reason. To me, a quota is is like if you can't sell this much, there's probably a problem and you should either consider looking for a new job or we'll find another place to put you in the organization. But too often a quote is like set as the, here's what you should hit. So I'm just adding that as a caveat. To no, the, I, I love that. The 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 ability or or taking
0: measures to specifically measure uh, that
1: gap yep. or that consistency, I like that a lot. So like for realtors, they have an average days on market, right? Oh, I've sold 200 houses, oh, that's awesome but you, your time to sell that house is less than the guy who only sold three houses this year and he sold them all in a day. I'd rather have that guy because he sells them fast and maybe that's what I need right now. So you have to look at all the factors when considering what's good, you know, air quotes again, uh, what's good and what's better. And, and this is another thing that people that I'm also coaching a lot of business owners on is they, their mentalities, they want to get a lot of sales and I'm like, okay, that's cool, but what if we could get fewer sales that are worth more, more money? Maybe that's a better approach right now. So I call this my like 3d printed customer profile. So if you think of a 3d printer, there's three axes, right? There's X, Y, and Z. Um, and for a customer profile, I want to know there's typically three people inside of that and they match the mid, the small, medium size and enterprise markets. So X is like, who's gonna close the fastest, right? Like who can I get in the door and they're gonna say yes tomorrow and we're gonna close them down in two weeks. Y is the case study customer. They're the one, the testimonial you're gonna put on your website because they love you, they think you're great, but they don't close the fastest, but they're also not the hardest to get in. Um, And they're also the easiest to manage. They, you know, they, they bring you referrals. They're like your awesome one. And Z is who pays the most, okay? And it's like, I always say you can pick two and really it's one. So start with the prioritize, the one you like the most. And the second one is like a maybe, but to get all three is, is often the problem. They're trying to target everything. It's just like how we see in marketing. Like everyone's our market. Well, no, everyone is not your market just because you can apply in every spot. That's actually probably a bad thing. Let's like try to focus down yeah, to, that makes sense. to the one. So, um, I can't remember where I was going with that, but it's important. Oh yeah, that customer, a lot of the clients that approach us are like, oh, we wanna get a lot more sales. And I'm like, well, let's look at this because what's your ultimate goal? Well, we wanna sell out to Oracle or Microsoft or something. Okay, well, if that's the goal, um, what's your runway? Like how much money have you raised? Oh, we're bootstrapping the whole thing. Okay, if you're bootstrapping and cash flow is an issue, probably you want clients who are gonna close the most quickly, right? You're gonna get those X clients. Yeah, okay, totally. But if you only get X clients the problem with people who sign up the fastest, they also usually cancel the fastest, too. So you're going to churn and burn. Jump Software is a good example of this. Um, and not saying anything bad about them, but they, their model was star, Their set or closer model was like going to. And if you don't know what they do, they're like reputation management. Yeah, we had their uh, CEO on. Oh, yeah, Chad. Chad's awesome. I love you, Chad. Hopefully he's not listening (laughs) because I'm about to say some stuff, but (laughs) nothing bad. I just, I see this happen a lot and and what they did and and Jeff mask is their CRO and I've sat down with him before and he understands this, right? It's like the setter closure thing was working great. It got them all the revenue. It helped them get a series A and they're funded because they were able to close a lot of deals, but those deals, mom and pop shops and like your one-off sushi place and your stone Shiva, you know, whatever, like your one-offs. Are, they, they don't have as, as much sticking powers like a franchise. Your franchises take like six months to a year to make a decision, though. So, well, how do we, you know, how do we divide or prioritize those those profiles? And so that was that's what they figured out is that hey, we cannot spend all of our time focused on just closing, you know, the, the mom and pop shops. Even though they sign up the fastest, we lose a lot of them too. We need to go and target mid market and, and and some of these multi location. And also white label partners. And they had like four distinct categories of groups they were gonna start targeting. His problem was like he said, How do I get to all those? And I was like, Well you hire me, that's why I exist. So I can clone yourself and you can go focus on what's making the investors happy and I can focus on what's going to keep them happy. But no one may not see those results until later. So prioritization of where we're gonna spend time in the revenue channel is a lot of a lot of the problems I see with with startup owners too, is that they're like, Oh, we just wanna sell more and it's like no rhyme or reason. Yeah. It's just input output, right? Well, not really. Cause don't you want to have like money to pay your bills next month? Okay. Well then you can't try to just sell Microsoft out of the gate. So,
0: okay. So let's, let's switch gears a little bit before we get into uh, roulette. We've got about five minutes and I want to spend that five minutes talking about how you're marketing your own company Yeah, or, so. or yourself. Cause
1: I mean that, that's kind of what it is, right? Is you're marketing yourself. Yeah, and, and the self part is I want to be careful to promote like me as a, as a personal brand. Yeah. And then also Ivy League consulting as its own brand. Because the reason I used Ivy League was because it sounded like a clever take on words, but it's also like a concept of a community, right? Of other top tier sales talent who are already gainfully employed and doing so at, like glorious fashion other places. How can I clone that or how can I borrow like six hours of that guy's time or girl? and pay them in uh, to help some of these startups that really need their help and their expertise. And so Ivy League was more about getting that collective wisdom and bringing those people in as like contractors and then hiring them out to uh, my, my clients, which we are doing now. Um, but it's taken me a year to like perfect the process before I, just, I thought I would be comfortable doing that. So the way we've marketed ourselves as Ivy League is primarily through my co-founder, who happens to be my wife, I say happens to be because i would have hired her regardless she's really good at what she does in the channel partner space um and that's another th- whole other discussion but yeah you should have her on sometime and have her explain how it works with channel partners yeah but she has done a great job of bringing us on giving us prints on linkedin and even the stuff i do on linkedin that gets a, a significant amount of traction is because she forces me to i'm like you should do more videos and so I'm like uh and i wasn't very consistent so i created a, a a series so to speak where every week I post a a tip sales tip where I give them just the tip of the iceberg. So I call it hashtag just the tip. That's what it means. It doesn't mean anything else. Um, yeah, I can see how people would get confused by that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why, (laughs) but they always do. Um, They're thinking what's this doing on LinkedIn? What's this tip (laughs) of the iceberg? Uh, yeah. So I, I just give a quick just like the things we're talking about here. Like don't, inundate people with questions, ask questions intentionally, and here's how you do that. And just like a one minute breakdown. So the purpose of those videos are specifically to to promote Ivy League. You know what? I would say that's a second, that's like a byproduct. And this again, this should reflect our mentality. My mentality is like add value first. So we broke down our name into a uh, an a- acronym, yeah. Ivy. And I hate acronyms, and I think it's kind of cheesy, but this actually works really well for us. So. I is for integrity. Like these are our operational principles. Like integrity first, V is value focus. Like we wanna focus on value and not on monetary gain and money. Like money's a byproduct of value, Mm -hmm. adding value. Um, E is, or sorry, the other I is for iteration because that is how we get to a strategy. That's what we're good at. And execution is the means. To me, execution is what separates me from just a consultant who gives you ideas. I actually go sit in the chair and make the calls and do the work then I understand why the strategy will work or won't work. Okay. So, uh,
0: integrity, value,
1: value, focused, value
0: focused. Uh, the other I is iterate, it, iteration, iteration, and then
1: execution. That's ideally. Yeah, that works. And so that being the case, I wanted to, whenever we get on LinkedIn to promote something, what we're really promoting is ideas. And that's where it really started. I'm promoting like, here's something you can do today that will help your business. And if that works for you, I probably have more of that, right? So yeah, you may want to contact me and have me come in and help you with that. But if not, who cares? Like I'm. That was the goal: engage an audience, give them something, and it's res, it's people were responding in kind, and that's I think why we get such traction. Is because we're not just on LinkedIn like, look at me, look what I know. You should listen to me. You should follow me. You should buy my product. How do, you, how do you come up with your tips?
0: Like how much time do you spend thinking? Oh, this is a good tip, and do
1: you have like a list of zero the next so, so you're just like, you, you hit record and you're like, here, here it comes. Well, a little bit. I usually it's in response to what I'm thinking about in that day. And I'm like, oh man, cause I like, I'll be recrafting somebody's email campaign and be like, here, we should really say one paragraph because here's why. And they're like, oh, okay. And then I do that. And then I say, oh, that's a good tip. And then I'll pull up my phone and I'll do one take. And that's why it's usually pretty raw. And I, it doesn't sound rehearsed cause it's not. And I just say, Hey, here's why you should do this. Cause I just did it for someone and we just. I literally increased their response rate and their conversion by a thousand percent. So you should do this. Are there ever times when like, you're like, Oh, that's a great tip. Oh crap. I already did a tip this week. <laughs> um, yeah, actually <laughs> I wouldn't mind. Like I do write some of those down actually now you mention it, but I I'll bring, I don't just want to promote just the tip, but I, I we've done other videos that are like, Hey, think about this, you know, in your travels or do you know anybody who's, we want to highlight other people too. I think that's another, that's the way to engage an audience on LinkedIn or any social media. It's not always about you. It's about people seeing you as as a, like an archetype that reflects them. Uh, And that's really what like a personal brand is. If you go on any Instagram account, it's no different, right? I'm really into guns and music and stuff like that. So I follow those types of things on Instagram. What I'm watching is like how the people, who share my values are displaying themselves and I'm like, I'm getting ideas about how I want to do things. Yeah. And so I want to be that sounding board for people who are in my spot. Cause I've been there and like, what do I do with my career and what do I do with my life? And if I can, if you can provide people value there, then they're going to listen and they're going to respond in a way that's ultimately, yeah, they'll probably come to me as a client too. But again, money is a byproduct of value. And if you focus on value, the money takes care of itself. And that's kind of our, that's how we've marketed ourselves really well.
0: Cool. No, I appreciate you going into that. So, uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time on digital marketing roulette. We'll probably have, we we'll probably have time <coughs> for two questions or so, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. You ready, Brandon? Here we go.
1: Spin that board. All right. So, um, Ooh, I should also say we, we do some net- we do a networking event. It's free. Uh, we just, we have people go to top golf every Friday. We used to have to have them over at our house for breakfast. I would cook people pancakes and like have a and it got too big or what 15 person breakfast yeah just it started getting too big and we just got tired of hosting Cooking breakfast everything. in my house every friday but that's like the community engagement stuff has been working really well so come so to the networking a networking golf show up to top golf friday from nine thirty to eleven thirty, and we'll be there and we'll give you a high five and introduce you to some cool people i love, love it top golf yeah I like all right top brandon golf. uh what are we at Number eight, baby. <laughs> number eight.
2: <laughs> all right, here we go. Uh all new questions. Okay. Oh wow. Throwing out the old ones. It's up till three in the morning last night making these. Yeah, I bet.
1: Just for me. I'm a I am i am pretty honored.
2: Here we go. <laughs> Question number eight. What is the biggest lesson you've learned starting your own business?
1: Don't start your own business. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh the biggest lesson honestly, and this, I don't mean this to sound like arrogant or whatever, but like, I know what I'm talking about. Like, I, I doubted myself for years thinking like, uh, everything I say is like been, people have heard this before. And the more I meet business owners, the more I'm like, wait, really, this is new to you. Like this is a new concept. And I think for most people, for most entrepreneurs, like you probably doubt a lot of what you already know and don't, cause you will be surprised if you're good at what you do and you've spent, I don't know, I'm 13 years in, but if you've spent like five years or more in what you do, you probably know a lot more than somebody who hasn't. So believe in what you know. That's what I've learned.
2: I like it. So it's increased confidence. A hundred percent. Is what has done. A hundred percent. I like it.
1: And even if I suck, it's like you, it's better than whatever you were doing before. So that's a, that's a good deal <laughs> safe. <That's>. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not confidence you learn. It's that what
0: you know is probably better than the dumb stuff they're doing already. Yeah,
1: just outrun the bear. Or outrun the person with you, not the bear, sorry. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, do if you gonna outrun the, the bear, yeah, do that. All right, Brian, what do you got? My answer? No, well, sure, yeah. You're, uh, oh, I, I, mean, can't I don't really answer, have I... an answer. But, I mean, from... You've started your own company.
2: From, from the days, uh, gosh, um, the biggest surprise, like I've said before, is just the amount of paperwork, like the taxes and all that crap. You don't really think about that when you start a business. I was like, oh, I got to register and taxes and plan and all that. But I would say organization, like the biggest lesson I learned was you just got to be on top of your game from day one and like think through everything. It's not like a job where things just kind of fall on your lap. You've got to proactively work all the time. So it's not the uh, it's not sitting on a beach working five hours a week like some books, four hours a week tim ferris like some books will tell you maybe you'll get to that point but you're working uh if you're quitting your job because you're sick of working 40 hours a week get ready to work 60 hours a week because that's what it takes to build successful businesses often not always but yeah all right so next question here let me uh roll the old ball
0: We um, got
2: time for one more or two more?
0: Yeah, we could do uh, one more. So that w- that felt like it wasn't that new of a question. It almost felt like you just like switched a couple of words.
2: It's similar to another <laughs> question. I'll give you that. Okay. All right. 26. Here we go. Uh, if you could hire any person to come spend seven days with your business and learn from them, who would it be?
1: Ooh. That's a good question. I'm going to have to think about that. <laughs> it is Maybe a, one of you answer that while I think about it. Have you thought about that?
2: Only in the last five minutes, but not really. Oh, no.
1: You know what? I, I was know. thinking it was a you good question. One? And it's actually locally. Mark Smith. I'd have Mark Smith. Coming. Who's that? And I may I may just do that. Mark Smith. I'm coming for you, bro. <laughs> uh, Mark Smith was the VP of sales at Womply, and I think he's doing his own thing now. Um. But he's a sharp dude. He's built a lot of organizations from scratch and uh just a great sales leader. I've I've worked with him a couple of times, met him several times and seen his seen the stuff that he does and like really got a feel for what he does on LinkedIn. He write he does a lot of short form posts on LinkedIn and just gives you an insight into his thoughts. He's he's a sharp dude. Okay, so Mark Smith. Now how are you, Mark Smith?
2: I like it. I guess for us it would be more of like you got, they would spend seven days with you in your position. Yeah, sure. It's like so you get better.
0: You're gonna get Gary V. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Gary V came to mind, but I feel like he'd just sit there and like hype me up and like say the F bomb five hundred times. Or
0: just tell you how dumb you are.
2: Yeah, that too. Uh, really I don't know. Like voice. uh moving into my new role, uh I'm gonna be super I mean I'm already heavy lead gen, but I just I feel like that's one thing I wanna get better at, which really that's like The marketers who kill it are really good at lead gen. And um, I feel like I've had success with it. I'm trying to think of like who would just be the right guy. Yeah, it sounds like you've just been stalling. Who is the lead gen king? Rand Fishkin came to mind as like someone who I feel like would actually sit down and like give me the time of day and teach. But he's so heavy on like SEO and stuff. So I don't have an answer. I could say like. Mark whoever does but,
1: like really good infomercials that's who i'd go hire
2: who does good that's infomercials just me. that's not dead
1: <laughs> yeah i don't know i bet you they know <laughs> stuff that they don't even know if you ask them the right questions you'd be like oh that's how i'm going to generate leads thank you I get out of my office
2: i know who i i know how to bring uh russell brunson of uh click Funnels. oh yeah okay he's uh he seems like a sharp guy when it comes to, like generating leads
0: i would pick my mom
2: what a nice guy Is she listening
0: to this? I don't spend enough time with her.
2: Mother's Day coming up? Is this like a No, she
0: does not listen to the show, (laughs) unfortunately. No, man. It's like your mom, dude. She's always impressed with anything you do. So if she just sat there for a week, she'd
1: be just just in awe. You would just do it. And just feed my big head. Really? Oh, yeah. Dude, my mom would be like, do we even have a job? What is this? (laughs) My mom's like 70. I hope you're listening to this, mom. She won't. I know she won't. Why? (laughs) Because she barely... I'll send her a link. I had to convince her to get an iPad. You know why she got it? <coughs> because she could press play on the hymns. Nice. That's all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a big deal. That's an expensive way to listen to hymns. But we could send her a link. I think she can open a hyperlink and maybe she'll listen to this and be like, yeah, I don't even know. She probably, t- I don't know. I want to know. Maybe I'll ask her that. Mom, what do you tell people that I do? Like, I don't know. My son is, He's. he doesn't have a job. <laughs> My, uh, we actually had an episode
0: where uh, all of us on the show called our spouses, except me. I called my, at the time, four-year-old. And we asked them uh, on the air, can you describe what we do for a living? And that was one of our best episodes, actually, that was fun. It's a fun one. So maybe one of these days we'll have you on and have you call your mom.
2: Yeah, we can send the... Uh, who do we host with?
1: That's what we call doing it live. Anchor. Hey! Hey Heyo! It's just being recorded. I don't even care <laughs> to front on two, on two mediums. <laughs> what is that? It's for LinkedIn. Oh, this is
0: LinkedIn. Okay.
1: Oh, I didn't even know man. Blow the full podcast. Listen, baby, I need to learn. listen baby right here at the stone. Sheet this
0: it. is going to be fun for people to hear. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in. Okay. Hey, John, that's it for digital marketing roulette. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Uh, CRO for hire. If you're a business right now and you're struggling with sales or your marketing and sales teams don't communicate well, there are probably a plethora of other things. If you want advice, because he gives it away for free. For advice. You, but if you want implementation or execution of that advice, John Ivey's your guy. And you will. If you've, if you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a positive review on iTunes or any other podcasting platform that you're listening on. Our email address is inbound at belowthefull.io. We love hearing from you. If you've got recommendations on topic ideas or guests that you'd like to, to have on the show, reach out. And that's it. Until next week, we'll catch you below the fold.
2: Peace out. I was going to make a joke saying something like, quit sending pictures of your crotch. Jacob is not interested.